Hello and welcome to Radiance and Resilience. I'm Betty Parker, your host. This season, we've been focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And today I want to focus on the inclusion part. I've invited my great friend, Charles Weathers of the Weathers Group. He is the CEO and founder of that organization, which is a management consulting firm. They focus on leadership development and also organizational capacity growth. And I'm so excited that he decided to stop in and talk to us a little bit about how do you create inclusive communities? What does inclusion in the workplace look like? And how does not being included impact us on an individual level? This is a great conversation and one that I think you'll be able to connect with. So stick around after this commercial break to hear more from Charles Weathers as we talk about what inclusion in the workplace looks like. Hi, Charles Weathers. Betty Parker, how are you? (laughs) I'm good. You caught me drinking. (laughs) All right, all right, all right. Water, water. Look, I'm not going to get in your business now. Drink what you drink. Do what you do. (laughs) (laughs) Look, after we get ready to talk about this topic we're going to talk about, I imagine we'll both need a drink. Um, (laughs) It's been real tough out here trying to get people on board as far as um, just having these conversations. We're in a a really volatile time, as you know, around a lot of issues that divide us in this country, one of which is race. So you've done a lot of work uh, around inclusion. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about what that looks like when it works well. And I'll look at it, as I just mentioned, from two perspectives, when it works well in the community and when it works well in the workplace. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, First of all, thanks for having me again. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Betty. And here's what's interesting. In full disclosure, I just uh, finished a marathon of listening sessions where inclusion was at the heart of every conversation. Oh, I, I, you know, I I did five listening sessions today, uh, all in one day, all virtual via Zoom. And I was uh, working with a group of people who were really engaged in, you know, becoming what they're calling an equitable organization. And they are taking this whole idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion to a real deep, meaningful level and wanting wanting to get beyond the optics of it and wanting to get beyond the surface of it. And so I, this is fresh on my mind. I'm doing this every day now. But one thing about inclusion, before you even talk about what works in community, what works in organizations, what works in life, is I think one of the first things people have to do is they have to define inclusion, mm-hmm. right? And I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be real good here and try to stick with just this word because it's easy to start jumping around to all the other concepts. But sticking with just inclusion, I, I think people need to define it. One of the assumptions we make, Betty, is we we throw a word out there and we think everybody has the same meaning or definition of it, and they don't. Mm-hmm. And then they don't. And, and so people will start to push back on something. And one reason they push back, like we might think, why wouldn't they want that? But the question is. Do they even know what they want versus what you want? Have, the, have people sat down and talked about what inclusion really means and what it looks like? So one thing I tell folks, number one, define it, define it. Now, you can do that a couple of ways. You can go online and look at a dictionary. You, there's all types of work on race, equity, inclusion and diversity. You can find a nice, long, lengthy academic definition, if you like. Here's what I do. Very simple, because you know me, I like simplicity. Mm-hmm. Inclusion is when we welcome embrace, value, and encourage everyone. Now, just think about that for a second. If I, if I say I want to be inclusive and I want to be inclusive, the question is, are we welcoming? Are we embracing? Are we in value, valuing? Are we encouraging? 
Now, the best way to see in, see where inclusion is is to look for exclusion because the exclusion is easy to find. Mm-hmm. It's easy to see exclusion. And, and, and matter of fact, many organizations and even communities, what do we do? We create policies to exclude, quote unquote, others. I'm using quote air quotes there, so to speak. But inclusion is a space where let's just go real for a second. If you just embrace me, if you value me, if you encourage me, welcome me. So I'm going to use a real practical example, Betty. You, you like I have traveled a lot prior to COVID and we spend a lot of our time in airports and hotels and restaurants. Right. Think about, has there ever been a time in your life when you went to check in at the hotel desk or go into the restaurant to get your table and the, the desk clerk or the person there, you know, they saw you, <laughs> but they don't, but they don't acknowledge you. Oh yeah. E- even if they're on the telephone, isn't it amazing what the difference would make if they would just look their head up, pick their head up, look in the eye and kind of wave a finger and say one second. See mm-hmm. that, that simple acknowledgement is telling me I'm included in that moment. Right. Something as simple as that. And so one thing I learned, and I don't know who to give credit to for this phrase, but I learned a long time ago, everybody wants three things. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be valued. That's inclusion. Mm-hmm. And what I'm finding now, Betty, when I'm working with companies, leaders, organizations, or communities, when people are feeling excluded or not connected, it always boils down to at some point, either I'm not seen, I'm not heard, or I'm not valued. Yeah. Does that answer that? Oh, it does indeed. It does indeed. And so, like you say, it's 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 a matter of how people define it because we make the assumption, like you said, that people understand what that word means. However, their behavior belies that fact because they they don't tend to demonstrate inclusion in the workplace. I saw a really interesting, and I use this in my classes oftentimes, there was a study that was done by, um, uh, I think Dr. David Rock had it in his um, neuroleadership study around managing with the brain in mind. And they Mm -hmm. did this study where they excluded people. It was just people playing on these computer games and they had this functional MRI on their, you know, on their heads. And it looked at when they were included in the interaction that was on the screen. So I think it was them just playing this ball. There were two other avatars. They're throwing the ball back and forth. And the person who's the subject of the experimentation is included in it. So when that happens, oh, there's the parts of the brain that light up that, you know, have pleasure there because they've been included. But as soon as the other two avatars reject, it is rejection. When they stop tossing the ball to the subject, then you yep. see their brains change. It, it lights up in the areas where they where you would normally experience pain. So say you hit your thumb with a hammer, that, that area of the brain that lights up because there is physical pain. This person was experiencing the same thing on a functional MRI. They could see the brain light up in the same areas where physical pain would be. So social pain is almost as real as physical pain. So anytime a person feels excluded or isolated or ostracized or some kind of way where they feel some sense of rejection, that is a painful experience for them. So you put that in the workplace or you put that in the community or wherever where they're, and not just one person, whole groups of people, right? Who feel excluded. Yeah. (laughs) Then it becomes a painful situation. And so like you're saying, if I don't know what that looks like and I'm in a position of power where I can include people in in, um, something or exclude them, whether it's 
consciously or unconsciously, um, you know, I can really cause some damage or I can make a huge difference in this group that I'm working with. You you know, Betty, as you're talking, I just wrote down the word trauma. Oh, yeah. Betty, trauma Mm -hmm. is real. It's real. Trauma is real. And and, and, and people are traumatized and re-traumatized and re-traumatized. Sometimes just daily life, getting up, trauma. Sometimes walk. I mean, just imagine, you know, you live your life, you have a job, you make a living, you're doing what you have to do the best you can with what you have. And yet you're still in spaces where you're just being traumatized by your very existence. By, mm-hmm. and, and so the point about, about inclusion is not that you need people to accept you or love you. It's not whining for attention. That's not inclusion. Inclusion is about value and respect. Right. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, listen here, you don't have to like me. You don't have to love me. But if we're going to live in community, you must value and respect me. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the ways that this manifests, Betty, in everyday life, and think about organizations. I use the word consider. I'll say Before you make that decision, leadership team, have you considered the perspective and the insights and the interest of your variety of stakeholders? Mm -hmm. And and because what does that mean? To consider somebody is to tell them, Betty, you're important enough to me that before I make this decision, I need to consider your perspective. Absolutely. See, see, that's 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 a practice of inclusion right there. That's being purposeful in saying that. But here's the deal. It's, it's not the superficial, Betty, just give me your input and I do nothing with it. Oh, no, I got to do something with it now. Right. I got to do something with Because, see, real inclusion, here, here, it takes courage to be inclusive because inclusion means I, I'm going, I know I'm going to engage people who see the world differently than I do. Yeah. I, I, I know. I, and, and watch this. And I'm not going to demand you see the world like I do. You don't have to come to my side, so to speak. You ain't got to do that, but let's just consider everybody's perspective and now make an informed decision that's in the best interest of all. That's inclusion. Now, do you think that's where we fall short? Is that where people get in trouble where they're, they they will include you as long as you're in agreement with them? Okay, so now you're about to start some trouble. I'm ready now. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm trying to figure out why are people fighting each other like this? And then, you know, you oh, brought oh, it up. So. I got, I got, I got, I got something for you. I got something for you. Okay. Uh, and I and I know you know who uh, uh, Verna Myers is. She's a she's you know world renowned uh, uh, consultant and author and, and speaker. Uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion is her wheelhouse, and she does it well. Does it very well. And she has a famous quote. She has a quote out there that people attribute to her. And I, I'm going to uh, paraphrase that. I think it goes like this. Her quote is, uh, diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. Have you right. heard that one before? Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. Very popular, very popular. And again, mm-hmm. I got, this is not nothing against Ms. Myers, mad respect for her all day, every day. But I don't like the way people misuse her quote. And let me tell you what I mean. It's going to speak to your point here. Think about that quote. Diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. Well, here's my challenge with the interpretation of that. Think about the power dynamic in that quote. Mm. Number one, I'm waiting to be asked to come to the party. Mm-hmm. And number two, even once I get to the party, I got to wait for somebody to ask me to dance. Right. Hold up a second. Now, now, hold up a second. See, here's where I go with this. Wait a second. We, I've learned in America for the most part, Betty, we have been good with diversity watch it's been good with diversity as long as it's just the optics of diversity so you can come be the latinx person or the black person or the person of color or the woman or the lgbtqia plus person in the room you can be that person but don't bring that stuff with you 
No. So so diversity <laughs> was always cool as long or tolerated rather tolerated as yeah. long as, as long as that person that we considered diverse conformed to something else. Oh Lord, now you're preaching. Now now come on now, right? So, right? so what I'm talking about is see, inclusion requires something that diversity does not. Inclusion requires a shift in power. Mm. And and it doesn't mean that 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 there's not enough power to go around because there is. But but we got this mindset. We want to hold on to power so much. You can be, quote unquote, different and be in the space, but just conform to everything else. Yes. So now I tell people all the time, particularly from a generational diversity perspective, you are now dealing with people who, number one, they are not going to wait to get invited to the party. They will crash your party. Yeah. Number two, if they show up to the party, they will not be at wait to dance. They will bring their own playlist and play their own music. You better get ready. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And they ain't ready for it. I mean, that's just real. So, so we got, so we really want to be inclusive again, Betty inclusion can be disruptive, but it's a beautiful disruption because that's where growth takes place. One reason why we ain't growing as a community, as a country, as a nation state, we're avoiding the disruption. Let's go yeah. ahead and go through the disruption and grow together. Right, right, right. No, because now that now you're asking me to do something different and I like it over here. It's comfortable over here. Mm. And now you mm. want to, you know, come in here and like you said, disrupt what's always been a benefit to me. And here's the thing that kind of, that has really been gnawing at me, you know, when everybody's talking about uh, just giving everybody a fair shake, right? Uh, yeah. Creating this equity that we're looking for. It, it seems that the majority party, whoever that might be in whatever space that is, will oftentimes feel like because you're asking for this, this thing that they have, that somehow you're asking for something you don't deserve when in actuality, you're just saying, hey, look, I want the same th same things that you do. And so, you know, to mm. ask for, mm. you know, ask for equity, you know, okay, you got good education mm. or access to great education. You got access to great mm. health care. You got access mm. to living in this nice area. You got access to this good job or this opportunity for promotion and all these. And if I come in and say, I want that same access, somehow it, see, I get pushed back as if I don't deserve the same thing, or like I'm trying to take something away from you. You know, that's that's exactly right. So, so, so Betty, uh, you know, here's my thought on that: to really do this work and do this work well as an individual, as a community, or as an organization, and anything else in between or beyond that, we must understand and value history. Mm. What what I have found is what I have found is. Until a person is willing to be open and teachable and really understand history, the real history, not, right. not, not you know, you know, not, not the, the romanticized version of history, the real mm -hmm. history, then they are better able to grasp what's going on here. So as an example, I tell folks this all the time. America didn't just get this way, y'all. Come mm -hmm. on now. Communities didn't just get this way. The educational system didn't just get this way. As a matter of fact, we often will say things like this. Well, such and such system is broken. And I'll say all the time, no, it's not broken. It's working exactly the way it was supposed to work. Right. It, I totally agree. It, because it was, it was developed. It was manufactured. It was strategized to be exclusive. From the beginning. From the beginning. And see, but see, that's a hard conversation we don't want to have. Go back to people like my grandfather and others uh, who fought in World War II and other, other wars, Korean War and so on, and who were promised the GI Bill. Well, guess what? They didn't get it. Not the people that look like me. Right. Mm -hmm. 
you know, go, go back to redlining in communities when it came to giving out loans for houses and cars. That was actually a government policy. Mm -hmm. So when you say, look, it didn't just get this way. So now when somebody says we got to do some course correction, we got to fix this. People say, oh, you, you just want a handout. No, folks don't want a handout. It's, it's not about getting a handout. It's right. about creating a space that truly works for everybody. And until we really embrace and value inclusion, we will not have spaces that work for everybody. We'll only have spaces that work for the few. Absolutely. And so, and there we go. It's that threat. I don't know why. And, and I don't know where, where does that come from? Why do people feel like to be able to make sure everybody else has that same access, that, you know, everything is equitable for everybody and they are included, all groups, all groups. Why so I, is that a threat? to people? I, what do they think they're going to lose? Betty, Betty, I had a very wise economics professor that told me this when, we, when I was in college one day. And they, you know, they, they talk about the, this principle of scarcity, of scarcity. Mm. And, and, and they talked about how, from a cultural perspective, how, how the scarcity mindset creates fear within us because there's not enough. There's not enough. And so what happens is, to your point of why do we feel this way? Because the threat is that there can't be enough for everybody. It's just enough for me. And, and so I'm going to hold on to this. And, and so it creates a selfishness, quite frankly. Yeah. We have to, in my opinion, in my opinion, as great as we say we are, as abundant as the world is, and you know I'm a person of faith, so I'm not afraid to say God. And, and again, people can worship who they worship, how they worship. That's mm -hmm. on you. But what I'm going to say in my belief, I believe in abundance. Right. I, 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 I just have a mindset that, you know what, y'all? There's enough for everybody. There's enough for everybody. I believe that. And, and when you have a mindset of abundance, you are not threatened by others receiving what their due is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we have to push back against that and help people realize this is not a threat. It's not a, it's not a because somebody else grows or somebody else does this, it's not going to take from you. But, it right. also, but, but let me say this as well. Uh, you got to look at also. Are we talking about inclusion when we shape our policies? Because here's one policy that we have, say, in South Carolina, that is doing tremendous damage. What's Look that? Look at how we fund our schools here in this state. Oh, my goodness. I got that on my list. Right? Look at how we fund our schools. Now, somebody might just say, that's a big deal. Because my, my, my kids are, are fortunate and blessed. And, and, and watch this. I use this word in my household. I tell my children they have some privilege. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. They, my, my children have some privilege. Yeah. And, and because, watch this, because we live in a state and in a country where your zip code plays a major role in determining some outcomes in your life. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so the way we shape policy, something as on the surface, it appears to be simple as, hey, let's fund schools from property taxes. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, what happens in communities where there's no industry, where there's no business, where the housing stock is not that strong and so on and so forth? Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden we're saying we're not even going to consider you. We hope y'all figure that out over there. Right. Maybe here and there. But, mm -hmm. but it works in the neighborhood where Charles lives in. But what about that neighborhood over there? See, inclusion is saying I ain't good till everybody's good. Right. Well, and, see. And, and, and so that, you know, the African proverb Ubuntu, Ubuntu mm -hmm. is common humanity. I am who I am because of who you are. And mm -hmm. we really have that Ubuntu mindset and really see our brothers and sisters and others in that, in that light, we move beyond our zip code being an indicator of success and just the fact that I'm here as a human and that's my indicator of success. Yeah, yeah. We can cut short uh, poverty and a whole lot of other things, right? And these low, so when you were talking about school, we just had an example of that just this week 
And I was just uh, amazed at uh, the suggestion that, you know, millions of dollars would be uh, distributed in an unequal fashion <laughs> and primarily to uh, people who are already um, who already are in that abundance that you just talked about, right? And right. then I think about when, um, I, I don't know if they still call this area that, but I, that, that area that's dubbed the corridor of shame. I'm like, how long must mm. these people wait before somebody mm. takes uh, stock of the fact that they are in need? We're mm. finding this money to put into schools that already have means, but the ones that have been struggling and suffering for decades for decades yep. Yep. still have to struggle and suffer because the money is being diverted to people who already have. And mm -hmm. so that whole inclusion thing you're talking about, I didn't think they consider uh, the needs of some of these schools, these, these uh, districts and these areas of our, our, well, other country, but I'm thinking specifically our state. Yeah. I don't even think those people are factored into the decision-making. And there again, when it comes to deciding things, who's at the table, who's making these decisions, who's offering counsel around this? Because Clearly, there's not enough people sitting there that are representative of all people in this state if you come to the kind of conclusion we heard this week. You're, you know something? You're exactly right, Betty. And you remind me of this. one of my favorite books on my bookshelf. I'm looking at it right now as we're talking. It's written by a gentleman by the name of Peter Block, B-L-O-C-K. The book is titled Community, The Structure of Belonging. And, mm. and, and it's a book that I highly recommend that people read, particularly people who work with community. And it's not just about nonprofits. It's anybody. I suggest reading the book. But he mm. talks about the principle of belonging. Uh, and here's what he says, Betty, and I think this speaks to what you just said. He basically says that one of the one of the things about uh, community is the belonging. It belongs to me and I belong to it. Now, just think about inclusion, right? Mm -hmm. Community, it belongs to me and I belong to it. So it, it's a space where I'm welcome and encouraging value here. Do you know that people live in neighborhoods where they don't even feel they're part of a community? Wow. Yep. People, I believe that. People live in places where, yeah, my there's a house located there that I walk into every day. But that sense of belonging. Imagine walking out your door every day in a space where you don't feel like you belong. Mm -hmm. Talk about trauma. Talk about weight. And then somebody says, go to school and learn or go to work and be productive or go out there and engage the community. And so what we got to do is we got to recognize when I say I live in the Columbia community or the Harbison community or the Irmo community or the South Carolina community, I'm saying two things. Number one, it belongs to me. And number two, I belong to it. And you know it. You know and that you, you know belong it. to it. Yes. Yeah, you know it. You know it because you come on. You've been in place. Like we said, you walk down the street. I'm supposed to be here. Betty, I don't know about mm -hmm. you, but I've been in places where I got to look like what you doing here. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, I ain't supposed to be here. But yep. see, community that mind is it's a culture. It's a culture of man, you good here. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need more of. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So we're talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So that uh, love and belonging in that in that hierarchy, that sense mm. of connection that we need as human beings. I mean, we literally need that as human beings. We've been designed by our great creator to be in need of connection to another human being. He made that's us right. that way. And some of these people, you know, it really frustrates me. Um, where especially down here in the South in the Bible Belt, where everybody's supposed to be so Christian and so loving and God first and all of this stuff, right? Yet there's such a rejection of another human being simply because that person doesn't fit the mold of what they feel is acceptable right. as a human being. And so, how right. can you, uh, you know, it's such a hypocrisy when you think about it, when you don't, um, when you can't include somebody else because you feel like whatever it is you're feeling, but there's mm. certainly a lot of rejection 
in this mm. country and certainly down here where we are, where um, people are excluded. So even when we're talking about food security, you know, when you, you remind, reminded me of that as a community, there are a lot of communities, namely uh, communities of color and even more specifically black communities where you can't even, they can't even find gr um, good mm. food, uh, you know, mm. grocery stores that have yeah. Uh, healthy food in it. And if the food is, if they can find a place that's not some convenience store where they can find some good fruits and vegetables and things of that sort, um, it, it, uh, it's uh, cost prohibitive. Right. So it's like, you know, it, it's everywhere they go. This is when we start talking about this whole idea of systemic uh, racism and institutionalized racism that people sometimes just don't get. It's yep. even down to things like your food where oh, people yeah. are even, now they'll put a liquor store on the corner. Come on now. Mm. We can do all of that, anything that'll destroy you. And then they'll turn around and say, well, it's your culture. Y'all eat too much high fat stuff. This is why you have underlying conditions. Y'all have so much high blood pressure and diabetes and all this stuff because you don't eat right. That's part of your culture. No, mm. sometimes mm. it's simply access, you mm. know? Mm. And so, yeah, I can't afford to uh, buy some of these foods. It's, it's priced too high. And then um, being able to get to it, I can't get to it. I might walk. I might not have a car, the bus line doesn't ride by, and the next uh, uh, grocery store is so far away, I can't even get to it. It's things like that. You know, I know I'm mm. preaching to the choir with you, with yeah. you but that's mm. all inclusion. And I don't think people sit down and really think through that because mm. if I'm comfortable where I am, like I said earlier, if mm -hmm. I got everything I want, if I am that person of privilege, then yeah. that's not a concern for me. So, so Betty, yeah. Betty, Betty, check it out. What you just said yeah. for me really resonates because the word that comes to mind for me is um, is community design, urban design, the way mm -hmm. we build our communities and shape our communities, everything from where we put bus stops to where we put sidewalks to where we put convenience stores versus grocery stores. All yeah. of that, the, the way we can, the way we build community tells us what we believe about inclusion. It tells Absolutely. us what we believe about. Mm -hmm. it. I mean, so again, I, I might say, well, I have a car I don't have to take a bus. I, real quick example. I live on the harbors on the Irmo side of town. I know you know that. And mm -hmm. I, I remember a time, I've been in Columbia almost 30 years now. I remember where the bus from downtown did not always come up here to the side of town. Right. I also remember when, the, when that decision was made, there were people up here that I know that fought that. Too. They fought hard against that. Oh, yeah. They you know why. The, they did not want the bus running up here to the Harbison and Irmo area because, again, they wanted... I don't want certain people being able to get on the bus and come up here. And I don't even that's repeat, what I'm talking about. That's repeat the things that they said. I don't even yep. repeat what they said. But mm -hmm. th that mindset right there was, was, it was so damaging. But again, I'm glad we have the bus ride up here now. But simple, not simple, but things like that are like, hey, what do you believe about community? What do you believe about that? I might say I have a car, but guess what? I'm going to fight for that bus line. I may not have to take it or want to take it or take it at all, but at least it's there. Right. And that's Absolutely. inclusion. Inclusion, part of it also is when you step out, watch this, step out of your comfort, not in sympathy, not in pity, not to condescend, but step out of your comfort to help others find theirs. Yes. How about that? Mm. How about that? And so, like you say, it's about that getting out of self, right? Yep. And just yep. being having some caring concern for another human being. And I'm all about, okay, so if if we're talking, I want to go back to your word of abundance. If we're talking about abundance, then so if we all live, and I know this, there'll never be a hundred percent of anything in, in life, but sure. if the majority of us, if more of us can live in that abundance, more stuff gets done, more more work gets done, oh, more yeah. products get created, more, you know, there's just so much more for everybody. Then 
I don't have to come and steal from you, right? I don't have to come <laughs> and take something that you have because I have my own. You know, people have a sense of pride when they have more, when I can own a home versus, you know, live somewhere where it might be um, uh, less than ideal for me and my family. If I can have a good job, if I have work that's respected and my output and the quality of my work is, is uh, celebrated, all those things that come along with that, if you can help me get to that point, then we all win. But for whatever reason, there are people who just feel like, no, I'm going to keep my thumb on you or my knee upon your neck or whatever. And I'm not going to let you there. There is there is evidence. There were studies that were done mm. where there are people who would rather lose themselves mm. than to give to somebody mm. else or give somebody an opportunity to get what they have. So and that's me, just hateful. But, but, but I got to tell you, I, 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 I like to consider myself a compassionate person. Mm-hmm. And, and compassion is one of my words that I use quite frequently. And, and, and I learned a long time ago, I think it's the Latin, the Latin root for the word compassion means to suffer with. Mm. Not, not pity, not sympathy, but suffer with compassion. Yeah. And, and when you have compassion for somebody, Betty, you connect with them on a spiritual level. You connect with them on an emotional level. You connect with them on a human level. I have compassion. And also compassionate people suspend judgment. I'm not here to judge you. I don't, I don't know. Right. I, look, 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 my grandma used to say there before the grace of God go out. Look, I, I don't know your situation and, and you don't know my situation. And I dare not even think I'm better than you. I'm not better than anybody. I'm going to tell you that right now. I, I, don't, I don't get in the whole thing. I'm better than somebody. No, compassion, because we all have our good days and our bad days. Right. And, and here's the bottom line. The truth is, many of us would not be where we are if it weren't for the compassion of somebody else helping us at some point along our line. You better know it. That's right. One one thing that frustrates me is when I hear people say things like, that's a self-made woman or a self-made man or a self-made person. Now, again, I might be wrong, Betty. I don't believe in self-made. Somebody helped you along the way. I mean, you you Mm -hmm. put a lot of work in, but somebody helped you. And so compassion, with a heart of compassion, again, people aren't saying, come be my savior. That's not people aren't asking. People aren't saying, I'm lazy. I don't want to work. They're not saying that. But if we're going to live in community, you know, look, I'm going to lean on you, Betty, when I need you, because guess what? You might need to lean on me sometime. That's right. And it's hard to lean on somebody when you're judging them. Say that about 10 more times. (laughs) Oh, that mercy. If we I could do a whole show just on judgment. (laughs) Oh, please. (laughs) Ain't no doubt. Ain't no doubt. <laughs> what that looks like, what that feels like, that whole trauma you were talking about a minute ago. But you know what? I did promise you I wasn't going to take up much of your time today. We've been preaching to each other. Here. I was supposed <laughs> to have taken a break somewhere here. I didn't even put it in there because this is so good. This conversation is so good. So you know what? And since you've been on these listen, this listening tour all day, you ought to be all talked out. But I really do appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to Absolutely. sit with me for a minute and to just kind of parse this out. And I just hope that it will be helpful to somebody who who might be um, questioning, you know, some of the things that they've been hearing out there. I, I'm just trying to change minds and hearts. And even if we just prick somebody's heart, I know it takes a lot to tear down some of these walls that folks have built around themselves and to be exclusive rather than inclusive. Right. But I hope something we've said today might spark or, or something, some kind of fire in them. So thank you, Charles Weathers, for being a part of today for uh, with me today. On Good Radiance and Resilience. Good to be a part of it. Glad to be part of the journey. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Well, I'll, I'll call on you again. You have a good one. You do the same. Bye-bye. Everyone wants to go to work in an environment where they feel respected and accepted for the great work they do. 
Unfortunately, there are environments where minorities feel discriminated against and treated unfairly even as they are underrepresented in their workplaces. They face microaggressions and bias from bosses and coworkers. For those who carry these actions out unconsciously, they often offend without realizing it. Part of great leadership is creating a workplace where everyone feels appreciated and accepted. But it takes work and education around diversity, equity, and inclusion matters to get there. All companies could benefit from development in these areas, and taking the time to invest in your employees' growth and diversity matters is a great way to do business. At Sharper Development Solutions, we're happy to help you make your organization a place of high productivity and fairness, and an all-around great place to work. Call us today at 803-622-4511 to set up a consult.